Welcome to Practical Awakening. In this podcast, I share conscious conversations with incredible women about human design, spirituality, and the practical application of them in your life and in your relationships. I'm your host, Rachel Amy, human design expert, life coach, and yoga teacher from the UK. I believe that we're all spiritual beings, uniquely designed and perfectly placed with such an important purpose. So if you're ready to explore human design, practice deep self-acceptance, and put your spirituality to work, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Practical Awakening. So I'm so excited for this episode today. We have Clara back with us. She is a 4-6 emotional manifester. And when Clara and I first connected, we intended on doing a single episode And when we jumped on the call, the conversation was just flowing so beautifully that we decided to record two on there, which for both of our little open sacrals probably sounds like a lot. But this is the second half of that incredible conversation where we talk really deeply about the rest and creation cycles of a manifesto, the beauty in both of those pieces and how it's so important to have your rest in order to create and collect evidence for whatever it is you're going to bring through in your next urge and in your next kind of creation cycle. We talk a lot about how to live in your strategy and live in alignment as a manifester and all of those pieces of life that can very quickly knock you off track or almost invite you back into conditioning. We talk about deconditioning as a female manifester especially and about just taking time to stop taking in information about human design and to just live in your experiment. We share a little bit about what peace looks like and how we are on our own journeys to finding prolonged peace and how that doesn't necessarily mean there is an absence of anger. We also touch on being emotional and having needs and sharing those needs with others as part of your impact here as a manifester. And then inviting others to share their needs with you so we can be more acutely aware about what those people in our circle and in our community truly need. Clara is so wise and this is the most incredible conversation and I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. So we're back with Clara to talk more manifesto wisdom and dig more deeply into like the rest and creative cycles of manifestors, which I know for me has been really difficult. And I think it's really difficult just to integrate into the life that we've been raised in and that we know. Um, So I'm super excited to dig into that with you. What did you first kind of think when you read about, you know, this like rest and creative cycle of a manifesto? Um, (laughs) I guess, I believe the first thing I I heard was that I'm not here to do the work, do work the the way I do it. (laughs) And, um, and some sort of background information that was, that was really, (laughs) because the first thing that came up was, well, I actually have to keep doing the things I do. I don't have any way to just drop what I do. I need to continue. So, um, and that was part of the processing initially, like, I see this thing that would work for me, but I can't work like that. So how do I make it work within the the limitations that are there? Um, so what I could do was to give myself, like I started, like really give myself ample time 
to have my creations come to me and not force anything. Um, so there was initially I had to learn to work with it and really like be comfortable with not knowing uh, when and what and not needing to to know <laughs> and really just being in that moment when I have no clue and nothing is coming and I don't feel inspired and I don't feel really like nothing is coming. I'm just... I don't know. Things are so normal and, and I don't want to create anything. Um, <laughs> and that was incredibly helpful because what I started to notice is how the urges come to me and what they need to come and how I can quote unquote catalyze them to come. And it's a beautiful paradox because for them to come, I actually have to completely relax. And just wait mm. as if, as if you were, um, you became this very receptive vessel <laughs> and, and so that things can just like come to you and through you. Um, and there was a, I guess I learned this quite quickly. Like I got the trust quite quickly because number one, I had to relax from the intensity of, initially discovering human design um so i i had a need i had a need to not push and just like rest um and number two the moment i started to notice how it comes the second time i i was curious okay will it come again oh yeah it did and then you gain trust because you start to notice that it always comes and you get to enjoy your rest even more because you don't feel pressured even from your mind that you have to figure out something or or even wondering, will it come again? Because it always does. It always does. Uh, the only unknown is when. So just trust that it will and enjoy the rest. Because the more the more I could enjoy the rest, I it, it was it was really, I guess for the first time that I really rested, that I was really rested. And that I was really resting, <laughs> that I was feeling no pressure from myself uh, to do anything or in terms of timeline, what, like when things need to happen, because it always comes. It always comes. Do you have a similar experience? I mean, I think it's something that I still kind of wrestle with. And I think this, like, just kind of looking at our charts too, like you have a defined heart and you have a defined root, right? So those both speak to kind of knowing when to go and knowing when to rest. For me, my heart is completely open and my roots undefined with six hanging gates. And that's been a real struggle for me. So like, although I know I need to rest, I'm always like, I always have this pressure to do stuff. Like I'm always restless you know, and I have this internal dialogue of like, you know, I need to do more in order to be worthy of the things that I want. And I still really, really struggle to rest. And I find that sometimes I'm resting, but I'm talking shit about myself while I'm resting, which, you know, isn't very relaxing or restorative. But I also notice that when I just rest, that the rest period is so much quicker, you know, that like I can be flat out and obviously being self-employed, I have that freedom currently. I can be flat out for two days and then, you know, 
I have a bit of energy and I can do things like behind the scenes and I can start to like clean the house and and like ideas and urges start coming to me. Whereas when I'm fighting it, I can be stuck in that cycle for three or four weeks, you know, because I'm like refusing to rest. And I think for me, gathering the evidence that when I rest, the rest moves very quickly through me has been really, really huge. But during my experiment, so I've been in the human design world probably like five-ish years. And I wouldn't say I intensely and intentionally rested until maybe the summer of last year, maybe the year before, 2020, I think. And I was so burnt out from living the life that I was living. And obviously this was like mid-global pandemic. So we had a lot of other stresses going on in our life. But I went into a rest cycle that was like 10 months long. Like I dropped everything that I was doing because it felt so pressured. And like, I just felt like I had to create and I had to show up and I had to do these things. And I was exhausted all the time. And my emotions were just like all over the place. And one day I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I dropped it all. And I committed to just surviving. You know, I got, I went back into teaching because I was like, I need to pay my bills. And I committed to just doing that, to just going to work and just coming home and not putting any pressure on myself outside of those things. And it took a really long time. It took 10 months until I started to feel, and like, if you're a manifesto, you'll probably experience it. It's almost like, it's just like a f- like frenetic energy in your body, you know, that's like something is coming, you know, and small urges started coming through and I got to start creating again. But it wasn't until probably another seven months after that, that I started getting big creative urges to create big things and really make more of an impact. So I just kind of wanted to name that, like, it's not always that simple. You know, there might be times that your body needs huge amounts of rest to decondition and to heal from the life that you've been living and the life that you've had to live. Because, you know, we all know life isn't simple. There are things that happen to us. And that's okay too, you know, just because you're not getting any creative urges or any downloads, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means that that's where your body's at right now. And always asking yourself, like, what can I do to make my life feel a little more restorative right now is going to help the process. But as you say, like, also you can't force it. You've just got to sit there in the faith that the, like the urges will come. And when they come, I will be rested and ready and prepared to make the impact and initiate what's there. Yes. And the thing is that they might be coming actually precisely because you are rested. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like you, they can't come if you're not rested. You know, like you have to be rested in order to get those downloads. And also to... Um, it was the thing that I wanted to like discern, like have them come in a pure way, undistorted, mm. because you you just you are still getting yourself out of how you used to create things, how you used to I don't want to say force, but create things and have those urges or creations and inspirations be distorted. That's not what I wanted. So that's why um I was taking so much time and I really took it easy on myself. And why I love the bridge of, which in my case was illustrating digital illustrations and videos, because it wasn't, there wasn't any 
any like benchmark or even idea what needed to come out of it. So I was practicing my process and I was learning about my process in the process of of creating something that wasn't putting pressure on me where I would distort what I was, was creating. It's not like you are coming to the world with a great new message that you so want everybody to know, but is it distorted somehow? And that's what I wanted to like um, separate. <laughs> so I wanted this to come like whatever. I wanted to come from a clean place. Um, and also uh, there's, as I was listening to you, I realized that there is a lot of like um, a lot of, emphasis on rest and creation a lot of emphasis on you need to create and in order to create you need to rest but and that's it Mm. and what I discovered is that because I was I I was devoted to just changing myself from within is that I'm using those rest cycles to do my inner work and it's not even intentional. It's just the, the activities that I'm choosing when I'm not actively creating and working on something. That is the moment of time when I am transforming myself. So that is a huge, huge benefit of the rest cycle being there and a huge reason to appreciate the rest cycle because it has a big purpose. When you, when you, it's like you get out of the rest into the next creation as a, as a little bit of different person, not just that the time went by, but there is something in you that shifted and that you get to pour into the new creation. Yeah. Is that something you observe too? Or I mean, I don't think I've ever thought about it that way, but it's so beautiful. You know, I do think with each creative urge and each thing that you create, like you become a different person. And then it does take that rest and that downtime to really integrate all of those things that you learn about yourself and about your journey and about your purpose to allow you to make the next initiation from that space of who you are now. And I just, it's just so beautiful, Clara, like that, emphasis on you're constantly evolving and the rest is when you you allow yourself to embody and integrate those changes so what comes next can be you know bigger and greater and in more alignment and speak even more deeply to the purpose that you're here to live yeah 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 it's also like in the in the in the creative phase as I experience it, it's very much like <laughs> I was making fun uh, of myself or as I was ex- observing myself, there, like there is a lot of root pressure <laughs> that just like pushes me, you know, and that energizes this whole process. And it's, it's, it's a lot of like energy pushing me, but I also know that it's it's the right push to respond to like it's just there to back me up to get me going and keep me going um but when this is happening there isn't any space to like 
to observe myself or to transform anything. There isn't the receptivity. It's just like very much going outwards. There is this like something is being poured outwards, whereas it's exactly in the rest when it's like I'm receptive. Like there is the space. There is the space for things to just emerge um, that is not <laughs> there when I'm creating. It's just a different state of being and this different state of different state of being really yeah. and and, I, and that yeah it, mm-hmm. I was just gonna say I love the way you're explaining all of this because it is exactly how it's experienced but I've never been able to find the words for it like you have you know like <laughs> when I'm in a creative urge it is it's like this energy in me and it has to come out you know and again like we spoke to in a previous episode it's very physical. It's like my body has to do things. Like I'm pulled towards writing or drawing or yoga or cooking, whatever it is. Like I'm pulled towards calling somebody or sending an email. It's not like I, I just can't do it. Like I have to do it. And you're right. There is no space in there for like embodiment and looking inside and integrating those things. It's just not there. It is all this outward energy. And then for me, like when the creative urge ends and it ends pretty, it pretty like, quickly there's not like a peter out it's like one morning it's like boom gone and then it is it's like all that energy that was going out like I get to suck it all back in and yeah just live with all that energy and see where it's going and be really receptive to the world around me oh my god it's just so beautiful like I just yeah I love it like really yeah yeah there is there is a lot of beauty in both of those faces a lot there is something that you get in the creative cycle and there is something you get in the rest cycle and you can't get it in the other cycle so when I found that I really began to enjoy whichever one I was in because there was something really always something that I can get in specifically in those phases that is not like when I'm in the other on the other side so there is like it's yeah, I find it extremely helpful and valuable to recognize this, to taste this, uh, to get a taste, like allow yourself to get a taste of this so that you can have the experience actually. Um, and then try it out by yourself because then if you have the experience, um, it can start to build trust and maybe you will find something juicy as opposed to constantly struggling with um like I'm in the rest and I need to create, you know, like, like really what I, what I wanted to say is that there is a lot that can, that you can get that is beautiful in the rest cycle. Um, and it's worth it really to yeah. not run away from it. And I think, so from my experience, like I feel like the rest cycle can be creative as well, but it happens in a very different way. So like, when I'm in a rest cycle, like not kind of like the first couple of days where I'm just like no use to anybody, like just lay on the sofa and watch Netflix. But after that, it's like, I can like tidy up things that my last creative urge brought forth, you know? So like if it's lettering and stuff, like I can spend that time to review that and tidy it up and be a bit more detail oriented. Same with writing, you know, I can edit it a bit more or like with graphics, I can like play around with it. But I don't get like new creations during that time. But I also think, again, this is from being emotional, the rest cycle quite often coincides with like an emotional low as well. So 
in that space of resting and emotional low, it's like I'm collecting all of this evidence with which to create from when the energy comes back. You know, as an emotional being, all of my creations, again, I'm talking from my experience specifically, are deeply grounded in my experience as an emotional human being. So it's during those rest cycles and during those emotional lows that I'm like collecting things that become this like energy and power that I'm going to create from. And I need that experience in order to create whatever is coming next. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was also um, like something that really helped me with uh, like setting up, setting myself up for how I'm going to be experiencing these rest cycles, uh, the periods of rest. Um, I have a wonderful friend, uh, manifesting generator. She is 6'2", and she is a perfect example for me, what I imagine as the second line being. And um, she is emotional too, um, according to human design. And she was just a source of wisdom for me, wisdom, embodied wisdom, really, for how to move through your emotions and how to, to move through everything that the body is just what is being cooked there, what is emerging mm -hmm. and just like how to process it. And, and then she has this direct connection to the throat from the emotional solar plexus. And you can sense that her way of talking is way different than my way of talking. Mm -hmm. So she can actually express and very beautifully what is going on and how to move through it. So she was also a source of like a little tidbits that I, started to exper experiment with because the next time after we after we had this major talk I experienced something that I used to just like try to have it be gone already and just me not having to experience it uh I was just taking what she told me in and I was like okay can I be with it like really be with it and it was actually so enjoyable And by the way, that thing was like, I was crying really hard. I was crying really hard. Um, and, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> so it's just like um, looking differently at these things that I personally used to view as negative and something to run away from and finding what can be beautiful about that experience that I was missing. And I don't want to be missing it anymore. And there is beauty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that story. I'm a big fan of a big cry. Like I, again, I have emotional directly connected to my throat. Like everything I do is very emotionally charged. I love a good cry because again, for me, the way I look at it is it's my body needs to express something, you know, it's physical reaction tears. It's a physical obviously reaction to your experience, but it's your body. And it's a great way to release the tension and the pressure and whatever it is that you've been kind of holding like just cry it out. You know, I cry all the time. Big fan. Like I always recommend crying to kind of anyone. Um, but I'd love to ask you about kind of like That's beautiful. <laughs> creative urges too. Cause mm -hmm. I know, especially at the beginning of kind of first, I don't feel like there's a huge amount of information out there about manifestor energy. I feel like it only comes from other manifestors. And obviously as we're at 9% of the world, like there's just not that much information out there. And especially with creative urges, when you are, if you follow a lot of manifestors, you know, on social media, or that's where you get your information, you read a lot about 
creative urges as, you know, businesses or, you know, new connections or starting this thing, you know, buying a new house, like these really giant experiences. And I've had a lot of um, moments with manifestors who are quite new to the system being like, oh, I don't feel, I haven't, I haven't felt a creative urge in months. But I think it's so important to recognize that creative urges can be really tiny. Like going to like get your hair cut can be a creative urge. You know, calling your nan can be a creative urge. You know, like making pizza instead of a sandwich, that could be a creative urge. And giving yourself permission to recognize when you're doing things because logically your brain's like, oh, I'm going to do this. And when you're doing something because your body and that urge is like, oh, we're going to go do this now. Is that something that you've experienced or is that something that you've kind of like heard or talked about? I don't recall. Um, I haven't been measuring my creative urges or the bigness of them. Uh, but what you said hit something. And that is um, hmm, this reference point or benchmark for how we are supposed to experience things mm. that gets to us um, without really any evil intention. It's just because it's out there and, and we notice it and probably identify it as something like, this is what it should be like. And then we let it torture us and, and sort of like compare, like as if that was the benchmark for where we are supposed to be. And now I feel bad because I'm not there. Um, mm -hmm. I don't feel an urge to buy a house or whatever. Um, which is disempowering again. Um, so ah, that was that was actually um, um, that would actually be a part of the reason why I I had to like take a distance from like watching what's going on outside that was related to what I wanted to be doing because it was constantly like giving me benchmarks and giving me um, reference points. And it, it wasn't helping really. Like it wasn't allowing me the space. And I, I had to let go of, of seeing those things, of, of having them at sight and, and ha having them be present in my space. Um, because that's, again, it's distorting what you can create. And it's making you feel like, maybe even not receptive, fully receptive to what you are receiving, what you are being asked to do, because it's not measuring up to that. And you are waiting for that. Um, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think kind of like outside pressure as well, as you said, like distorts the things that are coming through. And when you feel pressured or an urgency to move in a certain direction, your brain automatically begins to kind of like create a roadmap, you know, like you're going to do this and then this step and then this step, which is just so anti the experience of being a manifester in general. And I know I've experienced that. Like I've had to unfollow a lot of people on like social media, not because I disagree with them or not because what they're doing is wrong, but because it puts pressure on me that I know is taking me off the path that I'm on, that I love, you know, that feels good to me. And it's beginning to bring up those questions and ideas of like, oh, I should be doing this or, oh, it should look like this. I should be here by now. So I've really tried to remove all of those influences from my life because especially with my undefined root or my undefined sacral, my open spleen, like 
I'm here to be very much on my clock, you know, and I have to do things at my timing. And with those open centers, that timing can get really cloudy really quickly if I'm taking in lots of other energy and really being able to step away and being like, I'm doing this journey the way I'm doing it and that's okay. And always reminding myself, like, my peace is the biggest gift I can give myself. And as long as that's what I'm curating in any moment, that's good enough. Yeah, there is something in what you mentioned about um, like you having to block the outside influences. Um, with the blocking the outside of influences, it's also like when there are too many of them and you like feeling, oh, those are the examples of me living my design. If you're trying to reach those benchmarks, benchmarks you're basically allowing yourself to be conditioned by just within the box of human design. Yeah. It's almost like inviting conditioning in, isn't it? Like I hadn't never thought about it that way. It's still like you are like in this human design bubble and everybody encouraging you to be so aligned. But if you feel, because there was something in what you said, I should, I should. That's very much what we used to do in the before period, before mm -hmm. we knew about the design, in, except now we are doing it be because we feel like in order to be a proper manifester, we need to, like we should, we should. Um, and there was something that I picked up from a discussion that I was having some time ago about, uh, it was like, but you are a manifester, you just go out there and you do it. Uh, and I was like, wait, no, no, no. It's, I mean, and I'm back at what I was saying. Like, I don't want it. I, I would be pressuring myself. I would be forcing something out because I'm a manifester. It doesn't work like that. Um, my body is not giving me a signal. I'm not inspired. I don't have the thing. I don't have the thing that I can stand behind and that I can communicate with conviction. The moment I have it, I know that I will. But if I don't have it, I don't want to force it. Um, so, and that, by the way, is something that I'm feeling was important thing that I wanted to give myself in this deconditioning process, like coming back to like greater alignment, um, to not have things distorted. Even like within human design community, you will see like all those ideas and stories about how people are doing things how they are achieving things and so on and you might see like yes like this is how I'm going to do it and or feel the urgency on having to do it now or because you have to figure it out now or whatever the moment there is some sort of like should and there it's there is a clear distinction that I have in my body like is it coming from my head am I is it a pressure from outside and what helps me to discern this is to take space like take a pause and be with myself for a while and be in silence and just see like how those things are processed in the body and usually it's like I, I spit it out what doesn't belong there like it's not mine it's not what I want it's it it no it doesn't belong there I'm not doing this but again the spaciousness needed to be there um from the influences for in in the for on the in the first place, to have to not have 
too many come in, the moment you notice that it's like pressuring you, that it's like putting something in you that is difficult to manage and and difficult to work with, or it interferes with the process. Um, And then just like find, really, that was helpful for me, like find the spaciousness before I jump into something, before I jump into something to really recognize, like, is this mine? Mm. Um, So... Yeah, I think especially as manifestors too, because all manifestors are here to, you know, make an impact and to initiate. But this can be so many sizes, you know, but we're all here to do our, obviously everyone's here to do what they're here to do very uniquely and individually, but it just has kind of a different flavor with manifestors. So the idea of like seeking outside guidance or finding outside benchmarks makes no sense when you think about the role of manifestors here in the world anyway it's like we're seeking outside guidance for things that only we can know only we can know the timing only we can know when we have the energy only we can know when we're in the right environment to make the impact as well and I think just a lot of the information and like the rhetoric out there about manifestors and I think when especially female manifestors first find human design. It's about like, you know, being fire starters and making an impact and huge changes and leader of the pack. It's just such a broad analysis of what our energy is here to do because it's really about, you know, creating that impact and initiation for your people. And your people could be just the members of your family. You know, your people could be your close community. Your people could be, you know, everyone in your nation. But to be told that that's what you are meant to do without all the other context of everything that goes into one, figuring out who you are and how you make decisions and what kind of impact you're even here to have and what you know that your purpose is and then creating the space for the rest and the creation. Like you can't even get to that point of making an impact or being a leader in whatever you know niche or realm you're leading before doing all of that work to get there you know and that could take years just to figure out who you are and feel comfortable and peaceful in your experience in your body as a manifester and I feel like just the like language itself puts pressure on manifestors from like the start very much agree there is so much in what you said and um (laughs) like what I Part of like what I saw when I saw my design and when I started to not just saw the chart, obviously it wasn't telling me much, but when I started to learn what's behind the the lines and the centers and the colors, um, it was partially like scaring me to, to see that design and, and me being where I was. And then the reading about you are here to just do things and you are here to make impact. And I, I mean, I'm sorry, but, um, as you're saying, uh, it can really scare somebody who is just entering this. And the way that it was making me feel initially was something is wrong with me. I'm not that. How do I be it? Like, I'm, I, I was feeling, it was as if it was feeling me even more disempowered. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm not as good as that is saying I should be. What's wrong with me? So um, initially... Uh, what probably spontaneously I started to do was to just release that idea about any impact and just like really focus on that 
like my path, like how am I going to work with me right now and see where this leads me. And what I noticed gradually and especially lately is that it's slowly coming to place, but it wasn't there initially. It wasn't the thing that I could start with. I was not able to start there. Like I felt so like, exactly like I said, like, how do I be this? Mm. Like, like that is there and I'm here, you know? And there was so much, such a big gap between where I felt like I was and um, these amazing things that the design was telling me about me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And eventually, like, really, I had to let go of the design and I just had to live and use those few very simple navigation tools that human design gives you initially like for your strategy and authority like making decisions being patient like not rushing things and what I noticed gradually is that I actually began to experience the themes mm. the same themes that I recognize in their as they are defined as not self I recognize them very well from my before life <laughs> I suddenly recognized the themes that were in the higher expression, which I used to previously experience like here and there a little bit. And now it was like all over, but I didn't come to it because I would like just look at my design and keep taking the information. I came to it from actually doing, as they keep saying, doing the experiment. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think like, again, coming back to the way it's expressed, almost pressures manifestors into incorrect action, you know, before they've taken all those steps that can make, you know, an unhealthy impact on those around them. And I think that's so important at every level in human design, like stop learning, step away and just live in your body, you know, make decisions according to your authority, notice where you're angry in life, notice when you feel really peaceful and again, I would say like five or so years into my experiment, I'm only just figuring out how to experience prolonged moments of peace, you know? And it's like, we come into human design, I think with an urgency, we're like, right, I'm going to change my life. And I didn't really know what peace was, you know? And it was that experience of finding a tiny piece here and a tiny piece there. And it's only been five years later that I can say, the majority of my life is peaceful, but on the same side, like of the story, I'm also angry a lot because that is the way I experience life. And I experience the world, you know, like I'm very intensely emotional, but it's because I allow myself to be angry and I allow myself to feel the anger and express the anger on like a moment to moment, hour to hour basis that I get to experience the peace. And I think sometimes we feel like peace is the absence of anger, whereas is peace is more being aware and healthily processing your anger is where peace lives. Where do you feel like you're at in like your journey with anger? Because I think looking back, all manifestors as children were either like so kind of controlled that they didn't feel like they could have emotions at all or they were like bombs going off, like 
on a daily basis. Do you have you experienced that as well, or is that just my version of the story? <laughs> um, of course, I experience anger still today. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I'm not trying to avoid it. I'm observing it. Mm. I started to observe it. That was actually something that I started to do also early on. When what happens when I experience anger? What happened before I started to experience anger? And that's very interesting, by the way, what you find that way. Um, not just like running away from anger and like writing angry posts or, uh, or thinking like you need to be peaceful all the time. Um, but that's really interesting. So, and the other thing, obviously, is like what you do when you start to feel angry, especially when you have people around you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> And ah, the most frequent underlying reason for me experiencing anger is two, two things, two things. Um, when I'm interrupted, um, yep. <laughs> and it's, it's really not, not, not as like, so obvious for the people who live with me, it needed to be communicated. It's not just I sit by the computer and I'm actively creating because I'm creating when I'm walking around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so there needed to be something put in place so that we can live peacefully, but also to respect other people. It's not just that I'm making space for myself. Um, so that's one thing when I'm interrupted from, whatever flow is happening inside whatever it looks like on the outside if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um and the second thing when i was being made to do something i didn't want to do and i had to do it and typically as a as a as a children we we can be in that situation um when i had to like bend myself and do something because i was told and I didn't want to do it. Um, that's where there was a lot of anger. And yeah, and I noticed recently I had a big breakthrough because I was, um, I'm actually doing a lot of work with Jinkies right now. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that this, this very thing um, is, a, is a part of my emotional wound. Um, exactly this thing. And that brings out anger that I'm made to compromise. Um, and I'm meant to, made to, that's what I was being, what was happening a lot when I was little, uh, when I was being made to do something that the parents wanted. And when I was being, when it was forbidden for me to do what I was passionate about. So there was a lot of anger. And also afterwards, even when I wasn't in that influence anymore, because the pattern was there. So whenever I sensed that somebody was trying to make me do something, there was as if I like shifted to the other side, opposite side, uh, to be so rebellious and like, what do you dare telling me what I'm supposed to do? And like, I'm going to rebel. Um, so there needed to be some like rebalancing this kind of reaction (laughs) yeah I'd say my like kind of themes are pretty similar you know like when I'm interrupted especially as a second line like when I'm doing something like I'm 
so in my own flow that I just want to be by myself, you know? And like, I love how you pointed out that people don't notice that from the outside. Like, it's really something that you've got to communicate. Please don't interrupt me, you know, ever really would be just be great, you know, as a manifester. And then, yeah. And as a kid being told I had to do something, but then even as an adult, like being made to do stuff, which we do when we have jobs and employers and family that I don't agree with or that I think is a waste of not just mine, but everybody's time. Like, you know, when you sit in like a team meeting that could have been an email and it's 45 minutes long. And then at the end, somebody asks a question that has already been answered. And again, could have been an email. Things like that make me angry. I'm like, you're wasting everyone's time. Like just that, that, yeah, I can't get that. But then I think also for me, again, with that motorized connection from my solar plexus to my throat, looking back as a kid, like, I've only noticed this in reflection, but when my emotions weren't being witnessed, that made me really angry. And I think it doesn't make me so angry now because I can communicate what I need. But when, you know, my joy wasn't being held and witnessed or when my sadness wasn't being held and witnessed, that made me so angry because I'm such an intensely emotional being. And that led to so many like huge blow ups because I think I felt like I wasn't being witnessed in this emotion that I was having. And that's what I really needed as a child. Like I needed to be held in those emotions and I never got it. So that's a really interesting thing, like on reflection to see how angry that made me. And then I think that was where a lot of my relationships went wrong because I didn't have the skills to communicate what I needed and people didn't have the skills to hold my emotions where they were or support them or just witness them. And that was really painful, I think, for baby manifesto, Rachel. Yeah. There is uh, there is something that uh, human design can has brought and, and is bringing, really, and that is a very useful tool um, when, you, when you meet human design and when you start to experiment with it. And that is that it points you towards what you need what you need to really be in that alignment space and and to give yourself the signature and like reach that signature, what you need. And there are all the places you look into the chart, you will find clues and keys to what you need, what you need to give to yourself. And what is really helpful is the moment you know it, because that's not something that will come from the outside. Like, Everybody will tell you, they don't know, like there is no chance. Like I can't know what the other person's need until they tell me. But if they don't know how they can, how how can they tell me? Mm. So that was really helpful to see like what I need for myself. See, okay, how do I feel differently when I give myself what I need? Okay. And now communicate to others what I need. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important, I think, to come from that place of I give myself what I need and this is what I need from you and being able to communicate that. And that's another thing sometimes that I see in manifesto communities or talk about manifestors is this like, you know, autonomous lone wolf kind of vibe. But it's so important to remember that we're all here to be in connection with the other and the others and being community you know yes you might be a manifester and yes your energy is very autonomous but you are here to be of service to somebody and something and someone so 
never feeling like although you like to be alone your purpose is like intertwined with everyone that you come across and being alone forever is not going to bring you peace as a manifester being alone is not going to bring you any joy it's not going to allow you to truly live out your strategy and make an impact because you can't do that alone and just really remembering that you are here to make an impact thus on other people and I think for manifestors more than anything being aware of how does my you know my energy and my aura impact those around me and how would I what impact do I want to make how do I want them to feel how do I want to feel after that um like interaction because if you go at it from the not self and anger like when you leave that doesn't feel good And I'm like, I know we can be like all up in like our ego and say like, oh, well, it's their problem. But making other people not feel good doesn't feel good. You know, whether it's intentional or not, like it's not enjoyable. So like you said, being in your peace allows others to be in their signature. And we need to come at interactions that way. Like where are we initiating everyone to be more in their signature And it's not just about you. And you are here to be in relationship with whoever are your people as manifestors. All right. I feel like I got a bit on a soapbox there. That's perfect. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Also like, mm, also to what you said about like what you, how you are initiating other people. It's, it's the same. Like it's not just, Um, as I was talking about the needs, it's not just you communicating what you need. It's also being open to and inviting other people to communicate what they need. Uh, Like I became so much more um, attentive to like wanting to know more about like, as if like going beyond what I used to see Mm. um, and what I used to work with in communication with people and contact with people like really like going deeper and deeper even than I used to and um it just gets the relationships get really way more beautiful like um I mean I chose that this this is what I want to be my impact um even even if I if I was creating it for myself but I I like the important part is what is my intention when I'm approaching someone. Like that is something very easy that I, that I can center myself in. Like what is my intention for this interaction? And I'm coming from that place. Um, yeah. And I think that's advice kind of for all types too. Like once you've figured out your needs and you've figured out how to communicate those needs, like that's a beautiful place to start inviting others to communicate their needs as well. You know, and I think now because I'm so very acutely aware of my emotional process, like I'm constantly inviting others to share their process with me. Like every time I invite anyone to anything, I'm like, it's completely okay if you don't want to do this, but I wondered if, you know, or if I'm asking for help, starting with absolutely cool to say no, but could you help me with this? You know, so really allowing people the space to be like, to not fall into that, I have to do this for you. Because I've already stated, I love you regardless of what the outcome of this question is, you know, but would you like to do this? 
And then also really inviting people into more emotional conversations. Cause I do feel like specifically that's part of my impact here. And I've stopped asking questions like, Oh, how are you? Because it's a stupid question and people go, oh, I'm fine. And then you just carry yeah. on with life and really asking like true deep questions, obviously not just like randos on the street, but to my friends, like, you know, like, how are you feeling about X, Y, and Z, you know, or one of the questions I ask quite often is like, how's your heart feeling today? Because that's a true genuine question for you to answer and tell me how you feel rather than just a how are you, we go into like that response, oh, I'm fine, cool, you know? And I think that's such a beautiful place to be in, to be like, I know I'm intensely emotional and learning to allow others to witness that is a gift that I get to share with the people around me. I love what you said about how you are starting conversations with people because exactly like when you start with how are you, people will be thrown into the same pattern of, yeah, I'm fine, just mm -hmm. let's get to the next thing what do you really want <laughs> and as opposed to you changing a little bit about the same question that kind of like breaks the pattern for the listener because they get a different question than what they were expecting like as if they needed to think more about what is the question that I just got ah oh, and it allows you to get deeper at least as you were saying them it was like yeah it was really yeah I like that I love it I love it. How is your heart feeling today? It's beautiful. Yeah, that's one of my favorite questions. So as we um, kind of wrap up this just incredible conversation, I love just like the journey that our conversations just like take us down. What advice would you have for somebody who's maybe struggling with figuring out how to rest and what their urges are in their manifesto life? I believe I, I I would just pull something that I've already said because it has shown to be working, really. Um, it's not something that I have read out there. It's really just something that came up from my process. And that is trying it once and just completely relax and and be curious without any attachment to what needs to happen on the other side and when. And just really enjoy the rest and know that um, there can be something that emerges from the rest that you cannot possibly imagine. And the only way that it can emerge is that you just really, really rest. Like just trust that there is something for you to discover if you just allow yourself to rest differently than maybe you are used to. And, and then watch what happens watch what happens and have that proof yourself um, from your experience of how that goes to then build the trust that you can repeat it really and see it happen again and again and again because the moment it happens for the first time it's like a breakthrough it's like a little breakthrough discovery oh there is really something about this that I didn't see before and I'm just speaking from my experience so um, but yeah yeah and a little undefined heart reminder here too that like you don't need to earn rest like you are here to be a restful human being this goes for all of the types but especially non-sacrals like you don't need to earn your rest you're divinely worthy of rest because you're a human being and you rest in order for you to create you know you don't create and work in order to rest like you rest so you can do those other things And an invitation to really flip that on your head and being like, rest is what is supporting the rest of my life 
rather than the rest of my life is allowing me to rest because it has to be the other way around. Again, that's for all types. So thank you so much for this fabulous conversation, Clara. I know we could keep talking for hours, um, but it has just been, it's been the best. I could as well keep talking with you. It was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Practical Awakening. I know there are thousands of podcasts out there and I'm so grateful to have shared this episode with you. Check out the show notes for all links from today's episode. If you loved what you heard, screenshot and share this episode on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can repost.